Before the episode gets started, take a listen to one of our podcast friends and check them out. Kaboom! Ah, holy crap, look at all these petards. It's like I can't start a new show without exploding in my face. Kaboom! I know, right? I wish there were three charismatic, IRL, physically attractive podcast hosts who could help us avoid petards. A real word, by the way. Non-discriminatory. Don't wander out there alone. Leave it to the experts. Pilots and petards. We watch shows so you don't have to. And now with 33% less white dudes. Thanks to me. We do it for you, internet. We do it. We do it for you. (laughs) Oh, pilots and petards. We talk about pilots. We talk about TV. We take your mind off of things. The real world is horrible. Join the rank of hoister by stopping at our website, pilotsandpetards.com. And you can be the podcast you want to see in the world. Every day we hoistling at Pilots and Petards Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to But Why the Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask the question, but why though? Before we get started, we wanted to make sure that you take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe us on iTunes or wherever you listen. It's the easiest way for people to find us and it helps us hear your feedback. Beyond that, come and join our conversation on Twitter at ButWhyThoughPC and on Facebook, facebook.com slash ButWhyThoughPC. And if you like what you're doing and you want to support us a little more, head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash ButWhyThoughPC. And if a monthly subscription is too much for you, make sure you check out our t-shirts. We have t-shirts open on TeePublic and available for purchase on our website through the merch tab, ButWhyThoughPodcast.com. Enjoy the show. Today, we're talking about a tabletop game that revolutionized the way people play games and what people think of them. We're talking about Dungeons & Dragons. As always, I'm your host, Kate. I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And since he DMs on his own time, we're going to have Adrian take the reins of today's episode. Hi. Um... So as we start this episode, uh, now, um... Hold on, should I, like, rattle some dice to, like, intro? Yeah. Yeah, rattle some dice, uh, get your character sheets ready, because we're going into it today. So, first and foremost, before we start the episode, I just want to express that I only recently got back into D&D after, like, only seeing it played at tabletop places when I was younger, like, six months ago. I feel Uh, like that's been the trend of 2018, everybody's back into D&D. Yeah, so... Um, I'm just the most senior of knowledge on the podcast today, and by no means was playing this for you know twenty some years, as some of you listening might have. So if I mispronounce stuff, or if I get names wrong or facts wrong, feel free to add us and let us know because I learned a whole bunch doing research for this episode. So we're going to go through a whole bunch of fun stuff today. But before we do that, we will start off with our intro question, as we always do. Um, and just real simple, what do you know about D&D? Have you played it? Do you know like how it works? All that good stuff. All right, so, but what do I know about D&D? I know it stands for Dungeons & Dragons. 
As far as playing on the actual paper and rolling the dice, I've never really done it. I've just honestly never really cared to do it for some reason. Just something. same. But I feel like I've played other like video games that have had the uh, Dungeons & Dragons or basically a D&D concept where basically all the math and everything done for you. Uh, you definitely have, which always like makes me like, I don't understand why, why you've never played because you would be very good at it. I don't, I don't know. think he has patience, and you don't like creative things, right? And this yeah. is all you creative. But yeah. you don't have to be creative. You can just be yourself, Matt. You can just be your, yourself in a, in wizard form. No, you can't, because then your DM will make you do like a scary rar so that you can rage. Wizards don't rar. Oh, DM. I don't know why I said wizard. <laughs> I, I'm tired, guys. <laughs> you can't be saying that on the podcast. Yes, I can. <laughs> we spent no, forty you... hours of research on this. Please send us money. <laughs> You'd be you'd be great, Matt, because you you just have to be yourself. You you and yourself is a good D and D character. You don't have to do anything other than what you would actually do. And the thing is, the the stuff you say, you could actually do it. Like if you want to ram someone's head into glass because they're ridiculous, you could definitely do that because it's D and D. I guess, but in the video games, when I play this type of stuff, I actually get to see it happen, and I don't have to use my imagination. Hey, we'll talk about that stuff because some people go in on it and do the miniatures and then like their own cities and they will bring the visuals for you that could be interesting all yeah, i think about is ben wyatt spending six months to make a 10 second clip yeah basically uh we ain't got that money for those uh, miniatures though so we're on we're on the budget over here uh kate um yeah so i i've known what D is for like a really really long time i played it once it was a one-shot campaign i didn't know that's what it was called at the time but I played it once like a very very long long time ago when i still lived in san antonio with a group of nerds um and then i've been playing it on the podcast uh with adrian and i'm an orc now and our dm asa makes me roar so that's a thing um, but I love D&D, I love the concept, and I just really love the community that brings around it. And I feel like D&D people are my peeps, so. Yeah, we have clips of uh, Kate roaring when she raged for the first time, so we we have that if our listeners would like to hear it or see that uh, leading up to this episode. We will definitely do that for sure. Uh, for me, um, I've known what D&D is for a long time. Um, my uncle used to play it. And I used to watch him play it. I was too kind of scared to like get into it myself. Um, but once this kind of like boom of D&D started up again, um, my wife and I, Stefani, decided, hey, let's do it. We've never done it. We're adults now. We can we have our own money to do things. So let's do it. So we've been uh, playing D&D with the podcast. And I've been running, you know, D like one shots, like Kate was saying, with family and then some friends who said hey i want to play D, but i don't want to go through the whole thing so i've been doing some dming here and there which i really really enjoy um great so that's all the knowledge that we have going into it kind of like the wikipedia or like kind of general def- definition of D is as follows D is a game where anything can happen and players have total freedom of action in high fantasy in a high fantasy world furthermore the time frame of the game is literally infinite a game can go on for 10 20 or even 100 years if not limited by lifespans of the players better yet the players uh, characters would improve every session growing in power and knowledge these features would combine to make the game a smash hit as soon as it came out 
the games are super extensive with players having their own from players having their own miniatures and kind of like building their own dungeons and cities and things like that. If you've seen on Netflix, there's a um, documentary called Dwarven Vault, and it's just about these guys who do like these huge miniature uh, dungeons, and that stuff is intense, and they use that stuff for their D and Ds. Or it can just be as small as having like a quarter as your marker for your character and someone drawing out on a piece of paper like what's around the corner and what the dungeon is so it is very vast in how big or how little you can go but at the end of the day all you really need is a pencil a paper and some creativity because you don't even really need dice these days because there's apps for basically everything D related so anyone can pick it up and have a good time with it question is do you trust the app that rolls your dice um I don't know. I, I have dice, so I've never like used one of the apps. I have one of the apps if like one of our friends doesn't have enough dice is what we use. But they seems pretty fair to be honest. Like it doesn't seem like overly good or bad in, in one direction. Don't trust it any more than myself, I don't know. I have bad rolls when we play D and D on the podcast. Um, so before we get into like kind of but why those why we're even having this episode, we'll go into a brief history because I'm not sure how many people know the history of D and know I didn't prior to coming into this episode, so we'll run through it real quick. Um, so D and D as we know it today spawns off of two games primarily: a game called Chainmail, which is a medieval miniature war game created by Gary Gygax. I like that last name. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Perrin in 1971. And a game called Bronstein, a miniature game that had elements of um, one-to-one RPG elements. So, like, one character playing against another character and kind of acting out multiple characters throughout the game. And that was created by Dave Wesley in 1967. From this, a guy named Dave Arneson adapted the rules used in Chainmail and in Bronstein for his own fantasy world campaign called Blackmore. And this is kind of like... The pre before it's called Dungeons and Dragons, this is kind of what the game looks like because his world is heavily inspired on, inspired by Lord of the Rings, making it different than Bronstein and Chainmail. Uh, Bronstein is kind of like um, World War Two Germany, I think. I think it was, and uh, Chainmail is like medieval. So this is totally different high fantasy yeah. stuff, and it's influenced by Lord of the Rings. So you have all of like the high fantasy characters in it. Um, and basically what they would do is they would explore underground dungeons, face perils, and their characters would persist. So kind of like how D&D is today. So Dave Arneson would introduce the game to Gary Gygax, the guy from Chainmail, in 1972. And Gygax would expand on Arneson's 18 rules for um, Arneson's Blackmore game to a 50-page uh, game that would, come, that would become the basis of Dungeons & Dragons. And they both got together and decided to call it Dungeons and Dragons. They called it Dungeons and Dragons from what I saw as a guy. Cause his kid, one of the kids was like, they was, he was going through a bunch of names. And one of his sons was like, I like Dungeons and Dragons. So that's what they went with. Um, <laughs> which is kind of crazy to think that like that a kid came up with like this huge tabletop uh, world just because he likes those two, two names together. So when they first decided to go through with making D&D an actual 
thing that they can sell and kind of patent and everything like that. They were unable to find a, a publisher, so they decided to create their own company, Tactical Studios Rules Incorporated. Um, yeah, they could come up with that one too. <laughs> I, I don't know. Name, I feel Tactical Studios Rules. Yeah, uh, I feel like they came up with that one themselves. Uh, maybe <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? So since they were so small um, and you know they weren't like a big publisher. The game was hard to find because they only, I think they only made like a thousand um, games in the first year. And a lot of people just like copy, just pirated their stuff and just kind of like made their own copies of the game. So at first it was kind of hard to get a hold of, but it was a success because people were pirating it and everything like that. So that was in 1974 when they first did this. By uh, 1981, the game had more than 3 million players around the world. And copies of the rules were selling at a rate of seventy. F- I hate reading numbers on seven hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, and copies of the rules were selling at a rate of seven hundred and fifty thousand per year by nineteen eighty four, uh, which is huge. That's from a thousand some guys in their basement to selling seven hundred and fifty thousand copies. You know, a few years later is super super big. In the early nineties, TSR. Uh, I think I'm not even going to call them TSR because I just want to say uh, Tactical Studio Rules Incorporated over and over again. Um, so they felt market pressure to innovate thanks to the rise of other RPG games that are kind of inspired off of Dungeons and Dragons. So like Vampires, The Masquerade is a huge one that people play and still play today. So they were feeling pressure to expand. So they decided to experiment with CD-ROMs, uh, basically putting their D&D experience oh what (laughs) you know what she's gonna say she said you're disappointed because you're talking about innovating to rise of games which literally had an elder scrolls episode in which they literally played D, &D, which inspired them to make their game all i'm thinking is like damn we're really wasting our time because like the elder scrolls dudes are just like we're gonna make this entire D D campaign oh wait we can sell it make a whole bunch of money and these people are like oh my god i'm gonna make my own little lord of the rings game Oh, hey, we can sell this. Made a whole bunch of money. <laughs> Welcome to America. <laughs> Just change it and change it up a little bit. Put different characters. Sell it for money. Uh, which is basically like what they did with vampires. They took like the kind of vampire, you know, werewolf world and just made it into a and d thing. And they were making big money. So, so D&D. But with vampires. Exactly. So <laughs> TSR was like, oh, no, we have to do something to get the people back on our side so they're like let's do cd roms and put all of our stuff in a virtual world because it's the early 90s and that's what everyone was trying to do um oh, CD-ROMs. see like i remember we had um for like when i played it that one time we actually had like a a cd that was like our dm type thing yeah that's probably what and you was, had then it was pretty cool was it bootlegged no no oh. No, it was they had the actually Dungeons and Dragons case and everything like that, but like our that was our DM. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah and it was exciting for people, um, especially like if, if you saw it and you were excited. Everyone oh, yeah. else was excited, but it was super expensive and they kind of screwed up on their distri- distributing deal. So um, I put this in because I know Matt loves stories like this, so we're going to go through it and I'm going to try and get the facts right as much as I can as I read through it. So Random House which is a pretty known distributor these days, uh, was TSR's main distributor, and they paid them for the product um, even even when it wasn't sold into the bookstores, 
but it arrived at Random House's warehouse. So they were paying them before. So TSR shipped out a lot of product. Random House would pay them for it. This money can then be used to finance things like the CD-ROMs and of the D&D rules. But the structure would lead to overprinting and TSR failing to pay their printer because they paid them as soon as it got to Random House and not until like after stuff got sold. Um, and this put them in big-time debt with their printer. And eventually, the company signed a contract agreeing to only print them books. Um, and the printer realized that they had like a monopoly on TSR's business because they couldn't go forward with sending their stuff to Random House until the printer got paid and the printer wasn't getting paid. So in 1996, Random House returned millions of dollars of TSR's product. 30 employees were let go from TSR right before Christmas. In the new year, the printer announced that they would not publish any more TSR products until they received payment of their debt. And TSR looked like they were doomed. Their distributor was returning millions of dollars of product and their printer, um, who they required by contract to use for their printing was refusing to print anything else. And it seemed like TSR would be dismembered and the fate of Dungeons and Dragons would be done for forever. Buy your own printer. You yeah. can't produce at scale with your own printer. Well, apparently they weren't getting anything else printed at the time. <laughs> and how much yeah. they owed and everything. They, they got millions of dollars worth of stuff and product and everything else. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah. Basically, more of the story is or you can give me that look. How can they do it? You want someone to be in his? You want this dude to like sit in his house with his little printer and like fold the books as they come out to like produce at no, scale? No, you gotta buy one of those office printers. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, yeah. you want him to sit by an office printer and produce at scale? Yeah, just a little candy, two office printers. X. You're good to go. <laughs> this is the '90s. They couldn't have been printing that much stuff. Well, they were printing seven hundred and fifty thousand. That's copies of I the said. rules per year. That's a lot of printing. Yes. That's a lot of ink. You, exactly I don't know if you ever cha- ch- t- uh, changed out SB on ink, but it's kind of a pain. I worked at a print shop like in college, and like to make thirty and like assemble them through like the little like windy thingy, like the little like weird like binding for it. Oh my god, it took forever. They don't have jobs anyways right now. <laughs> they could easily just be sitting there around the clock, printing. What if they handwritten one? <laughs> oh my god, Matt. Special edition. Just cut <laughs> off the printer altogether, just use calligraphy, and go from there. Yeah, what if they I started don't... making copies? <laughs> I don't know how well that would have worked for their business model. I guess it would have made it authentic, like, this is the, you know, the scripture version of the rules. Buy you a printing press. That's all. Oh my god. <laughs> just gotta write once and just print and press the rest of it down. That's not how a printing press works, Matt. <laughs> That's not how it works. It's a 90s. Everything worked great. Oh my God. Anyway, so as TSR is about to, you know, fall under and the you know, hit the future of D&D seems to be in shambles, in 1997, Wizards, Wizards <laughs> of the Coast, the creators of Magic the Gathering, would bail out TSR and take over and immediately introduce an updated version of the game and introduce the D20 system, um, and that's where we are today. So the D20 system and their intro- introduction of their new rules is huge because that edition is basically played from 2000 or like from like 2000 all the way up to 2014 when like the latest edition of the game comes out. And that D20 system is the basis of so many so many games now that are kind of like D&D variants. So when Wizards of the Coast took over, they basically 
revamp things, make things easier, and saved um, Gary Gaiax from debt and living in squalor for probably the rest of his life, or moving back into like the basement where he allegedly created the games. So did they so, save on printing cost? Was that the main probably, thing? Yeah, probably, yeah. With the D20 system save printing cost? Did the D20 save printing cost? I don't know if it saved printing cost, but I think it just like gave like a new variation to the game that attracted people more than having to like write their own stuff. So I don't know if it saved like them more printing, but it probably saved more time for people having to write down stuff since just rolling the dice. So you probably had to get you probably had to get rid of your own printer at home, maybe. Printers so, Matt, stop talking <laughs> about printers. Stop it. So that's where we are today. So Wizards of the Coast takes over, and that's where we are today. They kind of took over and expanded on what Gary Gaiax and Arneson had created, and created this juggernaut of D and D. So there's multiple editions of D&D, and from doing the research on this episode, there are different camps that think that some editions are better than others and things like that, but we'll just go through all of them just for a frame of reference. So the original D&D in 1994, there is Advanced D&D in 1977. You said 1994. Did I? Yes. I didn't. I honestly, I was reading that. I was reading the last one, so like. I was confused because you said 1994, and I was like, where the hell is that at? You tripping. I said 74. Roll back the tape. <laughs> Roll back the tape. See, now it starts all over again, Matt. <laughs> you said 94. I'm telling you. You lie. Okay. So you have the original D&D in 1974, Advanced D&D in 1977, Advanced D&D 2nd Edition in 1989, D&D 3rd Edition in 2000, D&D 3.5 edition in 2003 D&D fourth edition in 2008 uh, and people from what my doing this research and having talked to people who do D&D everyone hates the fourth edition for some reason I don't know what they did in it but people hate it and people basically just kept playing 3.5 all the way up into 2014 when the D&D fifth edition came out um, and has become like the standard of what people use for D&D now awesome yeah and that's kind of the history Basically, a typical story of dudes coming up with something and then it getting too big and then a bigger company having to buy them out to kind of salvage their company. That's about your typical late 70s, early 80s story. Yeah, yeah. I saw a lot of people like harken like their story to kind of like the Apple situations and Microsoft situations of the world like as um, they were going through this. So were those other companies. So I think you hit that right on the head there. Great. So let's get into some but why those. Um, my biggest but why, though, for why D&D matters is it starts an RPG movement, um, not only in kind of like the tabletop realm, but of some other ventures that we're going to talk about. And we've actually even talked about before on our podcast. So within the first few months of D&D's release, um, other people started jumping in on this train of like the role playing tabletop experience. So you get a lot of different um, variations of kind of like the fantasy world. You get ones in 1975, Tunnels and Trolls, Empire of the Petal Throne in 1975, and Chivalry and Sorcery in 1976, which is kind of like knockoff D&D. 
stuff. So, like, one that sounds like a total knockoff D&D name, <laughs> Chivalry and Sorcery. Um, two, yeah. I actually heard about that before I heard about D&D. I remember, I don't remember, I think my dad talked about Chivalry and Sorcery. I don't know. I just know that I knew that name before I knew what D&D was. I just knew it was fake D&D. <laughs> I yeah. honestly have, so, like I, I, like, I know that name, and it's in my head, and I know it was in my head before yeah. D&D, but I did not know where it came from, so thank you for providing context. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's that's the big thing, too. Like, if you go, I if you just go Google, why is D&D so popular? A lot of people just say, because it was first. So, who knows, <laughs> like, if we would have had, like, the same success later, because these games did come out right around the same time, but maybe just D&D just came out first and just did it in a way that... Uh, they were able to produce those papers a little bit faster than the other teams were. Um, you know why? Because they had great printers. <laughs> uh, on top don't of like kind of like, thing. <laughs> don't make this a thing. We already have too many things. Don't. On top of uh, kind of like the high fantasy D and D world, um, like we mentioned before, D and D would inspire science fiction type games like Traveler, nineteen seventy seven. Um, and then you have Vampires of the Masquerade as well in 1991. So basically everyone and their mother was like, I like stuff, so let's just adapt that to D&D. So like, and to, oh, sorry. No, go for it. I was like, one of the ones you have on here is the uh, uh, Chaosium's, of, uh, Chaosium's uh, Call of Cthulhu, and I've actually played that, and it's really fun. Um, it's like HP Lovecraft-based um, RPG game, and it's really, really cool. And there's like a whole bunch of like... Lovecraftian horror games now as well. Yeah, so you get those too. Uh, you get some steampunk stuff in there too. You get basically everything. And even today, like you can go get Star Trek, uh, Power Rangers, Star Wars, even Wizards, Wizards of the Coast. Um, even have like a Star Wars D twenty game that they publish oh, themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you go look on Twitch, like Hyper Hyper RPG does mm-hmm. campaigns for Power Rangers, which is amazing. Um, Geek and Sundry does one for Star Trek so basically kind of like any realm that you want D&D can fit into it and I think that's why it's popularity exploded because people kind of put the rules and if you have the rules for it just swap out you know a minotaur for a rancor monster and basically you have a D&D session for Star Wars my, uh, my really good friend in grad school he spent a year writing a Harry Potter D&D campaign yeah I don't. I don't doubt that as yeah. at all. One of my friends was like, "I want to play D and I was like, "Dude, I'll, we, we can do something for Harry Potter because he's a big Harry Potter fan." So that might be something that happens in the future. But it's really easily adaptable. Um, and then D and D also influenced its kind of origin games. So I don't know if like things like Warhammer for the miniatures would be as big today if not for D and D kind of exploding onto the map with its uh, its use of miniatures and its use of building you know, your own dungeons dungeons and things of that nature. Because miniatures wasn't super big, but when D D took aspects of the miniatures that people loved and put it into D D, it revamped that kind of genre and now it's super big now. Again, you know, there's mini- there's kind of the miniature war games with Star Trek, Star Wars, um, Warhammer's obviously still huge and things like that. Not to get them confused, because if you get them confused some camps get angry if you call like miniature war games D and D from what I've yeah. from what I've heard um, at conventions and things like that. <laughs> I, I've been corrected very uh, 
very volatilely <laughs> when, <laughs> yeah. when checking out people's games at conventions. Yeah, is this D and D? No, get out of here. Tip my hat. Um, many camps also tie the origins of live action role play LARPing. Do you? I guess I'll just explain it just for listeners at home, right? That'd probably be the best. Um, Go for so, it. Yeah. So as the name kind of implies, you basically live action role play. Um, I guess if you've seen the movie Role Models. When, or Knights of Badassdom. Yeah, or Knights of Badassdom. Yes. Yeah. That's basically like them live action role playing. And they're basically kind of sort of doing D&D, but in real life. Um, I've done it. It's pretty fun. Or I if like you've it. seen the video where the guy just yells lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. Yeah. Um, in 1981, the International Fantasy Game Society started, um, and their rules were heavily influenced by Dungeons and Dragons. So without D&D, we might not have LARPing the way we have it today. And I really want to LARP. Like, this is on my to-do list. Is you to cannot LARP. LARP. You no. and Stefani are forbidden for doing anything <laughs> that revolves around you having a sword. I agree with this statement. Foam on them. It will be great. No, I will agree with this Story statement. time. Story time because it's related and it's LARPing. So Matt, Kate, myself, and Stefani, my wife, went to uh, this convention and they had like these light, light up sword things. That if you touched them together, they would give you points. And the guy specifically says, don't hit each other with it. And the first thing that Kate and my wife do is hit each other with it. And they're both very feisty, so they don't take anything lightly when they do stuff like that. We almost got kicked out of the event. It was very embarrassing. It was very embarrassing. Don't give somebody a sword if you don't want to use it for what it's intended for. All I know is you two started attacking each other, and the guy, like, (laughs) lost his shit. And it was like, oh, man, we got to go. We got to go. Don't don't touch anything. You You guys are off limits. You're in timeout. (laughs) Yeah, so if we ever LARP, uh, put me far, far away from Kate. Hey, as long as we're on the same team, you're fine. Yeah, that's true. Uh, What would we call our uh, organization? I don't know. All I know is I want to see Matt recreate Steven Zahn's looking like yes, that exactly. with the maybe, with the giant with the blue wizard's cloak and the staff. Maybe that's why I just always assume that Matt would play D and D because of that movie, and that's all I ever picture. I feel like you would LARP though. I, I, I could see you LARPing because you get like real things happening. <laughs> Plausible. <laughs> I, I, I no, like I could genuinely see Matt LARPing. It would be so much fun. Be the role models version. Straight athlete. Do this. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So back from story time. So the last part that it has a big influence on is that kind of a lot. Basically, like almost anywhere that I've looked up kind of like RPG game creators, they hearken back to them playing D&D in their basement for the basis of kind of like their creative um, motion for the game. And I think that's pretty obvious. I think one of the biggest ones is from when we did our Elder Scrolls episode. The creators of the Elder Scrolls game, like we discussed in that episode, they basically just took their D&D world they made and created Elder Scrolls. And now we have one of the biggest video game RPG franchises because of D&D. Fact. You're welcome. You're welcome, Matt. Well, yeah, they should all go learn about Elder Scrolls on episode (laughs) 56. Yeah. They should, because we talked about this, and that's why this, we're doing this episode, because we realize how important D&D is. Um, so, even back in the 1980s, a lot of like the first 
when people are first starting to do video games and kind of like things like that, a lot of them are dungeon crawler based um, with you crawling through the dungeon and killing minotaurs and things like that. And that's directly off of D&D. And like we mentioned earlier, they try to bring that to the virtual world too. So you have uh, heavy influence there. And the turret-based combat, I think, is one of the most important things. You have things like in JRPGs, which love turn-based combat. Um, and turn-based combat, I think, gets a lot of its start in D&D, uh, especially when you have to rage when you do it. Can you explain and a JRPG for people? Japanese role-playing game. Which is something totally different than your normal American role-playing game. Yeah. It'll get its own episode soon, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm already structuring a Lord of the Rings episode in my mind right now. <laughs> that has nothing to do with Japanese RPGs. Uh, I know that. I know that, but um. the problem is nobody plays out of us plays enough Japanese RPGs. True. Because I've been hurt by them, Matt. Because it requires so much time and also dedication, true. and they take like when they say turn based, they mean turn based. And unfortunately, I have a hard time with turn based play. I get bored. It depends on the turn base. There's some games that do it very, very well, and then there are some games that are very boring. They also have games that are four freaking disc long. Yes, also, I think I played like Blue Dragon was like was my first JRPG, but like yeah, no, the turn base can get really, really tedious depending on like the size of, size of your party. And like the cool thing, there are some J, uh, JRPG JRPGs that let you like switch between characters during the turn, which is like that that solves my patience issue, but. My, no, one of my favorites is Enchanted Arm, because they did the grid system, which I loved. So you know what has a episode. Do you know what has a grid system and turn-based combat? What's that? Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Bring it everything, they, everything you just said that you love is in Dungeons and Dragons. But I could actually see the grid and knew where I was moving. There, that's there. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> you can, yeah. That's there. That's yeah, thing. You, you, can, you can grid that thing. Um, so when it's growing in popularity, I think it grows in popularity because I think, I really do think it's RP, like role playing games in its purest form, because you are the character you decide to be. You can be Legolas from Lord of the Rings. You could be a purple orc if you want to be a purple orc. I'm a purple orc. Yeah. (laughs) You can just be Matt who blows stuff up. You can do that because it's, the possibilities are endless um, and there's really nothing that says you can't do something because you're not restricted to like, you know, a storyline or whatever. If you want to go trip an old lady, go trip an old lady. The DM has to deal with that, not you. So you basically do whatever you want. Which I, I think slapped Adrian's brother in our party like multiple times. Yeah. As my D and D character. Yeah, I did a one shot with one of the teachers from my school not too long ago, and he is literally the nicest guy I've ever met at this school. And he calls me sir, and is very respectful. Like he calls he's, he calls me sir more than anyone has ever called me sir in my entire life. And we got him into a game, and he immediately just turned into like the most chaotic evil character I've ever <laughs> seen in my life, and it blew my mind. Um, and I think it's another reason why people why it grew why it's grew in popularity um, or why like that movement started because if you didn't because if you were a certain shape size color you know um, intelligence level you didn't have to be that in D anD D you can be whatever you wanted uh, and my colleague just decided to just be mean to little kids basically 
for our entire campaign, <laughs> for our entire one shot. I feel like he's working something out there. Yeah, I really do. And that's what I was telling him. I was like, you just like wanted, you just embodied that, right? And I just let him do it, too. So I just gave him situations where he could just be a jerk to little kids, basically. Oh, I, I don't blame him. I don't blame yeah. him. Um, so based off of its kind of movement, um, like we discussed before, in the 70s and kind of early 80s, it has a huge boom. And then it starts to kind of fall off a little bit and almost, you know, disappears in the 90s. But... It has re-exploded back into the mm. popularity of... You know why it falls off in the 90s? Why? They ran out of printer ink. Oh, my God! <laughs> Stop! No! Printers are not a thing! You mean... He's kind of right. <laughs> it was kind of a printing issue. Um, but it grows back into popularity, and I think there are a few reasons for that. And we'll go through them here in this section of the But Why Those... Um, I think the one that's most important is the timing of the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, obviously, other I mean, other than like before Game of Thrones came out, I would argue that Lord of the Rings is basically like the high fantasy that people, a normal person would think about. If he said, hey, we're named like an elf, they would probably say Legolas before they said anything else or anything. Um, and the movies come out in the early 90s and kind of span through that decade. And that's when that's the same time period where Witches of the Coast take over and roll out. Uh, Are you talking about the Lord of the Rings come out in the early nineties? Which ones? The movies. I thought the I thought no, they, they were, come out mid nineties, don't they? I thought they come out like mid, they came out in two thousands, early two thousands. Oh, yeah, that's why of, I was yeah, confused. It came out in the two thousands. <laughs> yeah, the first Lord of the Rings movie came out in two thousand and one. Yeah, two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand. Why did I write? Why did I write early two thousands? Maybe I meant maybe I meant early two thousands. Yeah, I was like early two thousands. Yeah, I meant early two thousands. Like, that, that was way off. Well, if you have hold on, because you have Hobbit written next to it, so I wonder if you meant the Hobbit animated. But I'm, I actually think the Hobbit animated predates that. No, I, I was I meant early two thousands. Oh, okay. Because early two thousands is like when Wizards of the Coast is starting to roll out all these new editions, yeah. and that's oh, okay. why. And then yeah. Hobbit twenty twelve. Okay, yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's my uh, rewind voice. <laughs> he had a printing issue. Stop. <laughs> so one of the biggest reasons why I think that Lord of the Rings, or one of the biggest reasons why I think D and D has grown in popularity, kind of in this two thousands to like present, um, you know, era, is mainly my biggest one is probably going to be for Lord of the Rings. Because the movies, the first trilogy that comes out, comes out in the early 2000s. And The Hobbit comes out in 2012 and kind of spans up until a, a couple of years ago. And I think those time frames of when D&D is rolling out their big um, changes line up perfectly with that. Um, so when D&D rolls out, the third editions is the same time, around the same time that Fellowship of the Ring comes out. And the Hobbit series comes out around the time of D&D 5e edition. And I th- think before we have um, before we have Game of Thrones coming out, Lord of the Rings basically is the high fantasy. I would, say, I would probably say Lord of the Rings is still more recognizable for the public than Game of Thrones is at the moment. It is. Um, don't, don't at me for that. I feel like we're going to get asked for that. Like, Wait, for what? some. 
no, for like I, some diehard like some some diehard like Game of Thrones fans are going to come at me. Remember? No, I, I no, they, they can add <laughs> us all they want. Cause and I was going to refer them to our Game of Thrones episode, which we did before Lord of the Rings, so they can leave me alone. Yeah, I'm like Game of Thrones literally doesn't exist without Lord of the Rings, so they can exactly. shut up and they can sit down. Yeah. Um, and even predating like this big movement, the Lord of the Rings basically inspires like that Tolkien universe basically inspires D and D in the first place, and the movies kind of bring it back into popularity, which allows D and D to grow in popularity as well. Um, and so many people that I meet and I talk to about D and D, one of their first things is something to the effect of like, "Oh, so you play like Lord of the Rings, basically, um, or something like along those lines." And it's kind of hard to say no because you kind of. You kind of do. I mean, that's why, like, bit. the group I was with, like, played that one game. Like, like we we found a and d thing. One of us found a and d thing at a Goodwill, the little, like, CD. We're like, okay, we're going to play because we all really like Lord of the Rings. It was, like, mid-2000s. And it was a lot of fun, and it was, like, it was literally Lord of the Rings that brought us to that. So I, I can attest to that, Adrian. Yeah, that works out great. Um after that, so in 2014, we have D&D 5e coming out, the 5th edition. And I think this is another big reason why people are playing it so much now. So kind of like how we talked about in our Elder Scrolls episode, each edition of D&D that comes out is a little bit easier for the casual person to come on and play with. And a lot of people think that D&D 5th edition hits that mark of um, easy, easy to pick up, kind of like plug-and-play playability, but still having all of the aspects of... D&D that people liked, you know, back in the 80s. Um, and the 5th edition makes the barrier to entry pretty low. Wizards of the Coast makes a lot of their rules available online. You can pick up a starter set for $15 online that gives you um, a couple of pre-made characters, some character sheets, uh, some dice all in one. There are sites like D&D Beyond, which make managing and making a character really easy. If you don't have, if you don't know how to DM, there's a DM rulebook that you can pick up for thirty dollars, or you can pick up a bunch of stuff for free um, online. So, the fifth edition and Wizards of the Coast basically eliminate any kind of excuse for you not to be able to kind of pick D and D up because they eliminate the printing press and just put everything online in PDF form for you for a lot of the stuff. And with so many different variations on the styles of characters you can play. If you just pick up like the basic rule book, you can basically make any world you want. So when I've DM'd for my family for the first time, I set the world in Skyrim because my dad and my brother and my mom are most familiar with Skyrim. So I use, you know, White Run and things like that instead of using Towns in Neverwinter that they would have never known or understood. Um, when I was doing the DM, when I was DMing for that, my uh, teacher from my school, I set the world basically in Middle Earth because he's a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Um, and if you don't care about any of those, or if you like stuff like Witcher or World of Warcraft or Game of Thrones, you can basically just take the basic rule book, switch out some character names, and basically make whatever world you want with a D&D 5th edition. I remember uh, I never so- when I tried to build a marketplace, somebody <laughs> abandoned me. Don't look at me. Look at Adrian. I, you made me get on the damn thing and run those stupid missions with you. We were trying to build that thing by ourselves. Uh, I bought a tiger. Um, and for our listeners who aren't familiar with Neverwinter, Neverwinter is basically the world that in which the kind of main Dungeons & Dragons is made out of. And Neverwinter Nights is the MMORPG for Dungeons & Dragons currently. And we used to play it 
and it was a very stressful time because I was the healer. And y'all wonder why I stopped playing because I was the healer. That wasn't my fault. That was mine. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that game. I thought that game was really great. That game was awesome. Except your yeah. class just kept getting screwed and you had you would run an entire dungeon and get nothing. Well, I mean, you'd say it was amazing. You'd <laughs> <laughs> say it had its issues. Yeah. Um, I was a healer and I was a sexy healer. And then the and economy collapsed in the entire game and we had to quit. Yep. Yeah, and then I bought a tiger without telling my wife. Oh, no, that was at the beginning. That wasn't even at the yeah. end. That was, oh, my God, guys, there's a tiger in this game. No, you hey, I wrote it. You wouldn't have been able to That's the only tiger. I was the only tiger I ever saw. Been able to afford like the in, tiger at the end. The economy completely collapsed upside down. On head. It's all right. I just spent at my actual money on it. It's exactly. okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then past that, now, like how I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, there are kind of online resources for dice and kind of making characters. There's also ways to just play the D&D game online as well. And the big one for that is going to be Roll20. Uh, Roll20 is a browser-based uh, suite of tools that users can use to create player to create characters and play the tabletop role-playing games. Uh, it has a bunch of them, but D&D is its big one. So if you want to go back and play D&D 3.5 edition, if you want to go back and play D&D 4th edition, you can. But the biggest popularity they have is the 5th edition. Um, and if you want... So it's kind of hard to say, like, how many people play D&D other than kind of, like, looking at the sales that Wizards of the Coast have. But if you look on Roll20s, they recently released a, um, a report and they showed that their, number, their numbers for people who were playing D&D 5th Edition tripled in 2017. So they had a big boom in player base um, who are basically all moving towards playing that 5th Edition compared to the other ones. See, we can cut this out, but it probably happened because everybody was tired with the real world. And so they wanted to go to a fantasy world after what happened. No, that's probably accurate. We can leave that in. <laughs> yeah. That, that's really accurate. Like, that is really accurate. Yeah, why else would you play d and Like, I, that's why I go to D&D so I could ex- escape the world. That makes sense. And 2017 was crazy. So, you know, that works out. Um, another big factor for why I think D&D has grown back into popularity outside of the things that we mentioned is Geek and Sundry's basically take over of like the Twitch community and YouTube community with their critical role group. Um, Critical role is geek and sundries um, group of D and D players who are all professional voice actors and they stream on Twitch, YouTube project alpha on Thursday nights. And they've been doing it since 2015. Um, and they're really, really good, and I really, really enjoy watching them. Um, they are, I think, so it's, it's kind of weird, right? Like, people watching other people play D&D for, like, a long time is weird, but it kind of gives you, like, your own, like, uh, web series kind of thing while watching it. And I know from me watching it, that's what kind of got me back into wanting to do it because I saw how much fun they were having, and I wanted to have that kind of fun with my friends, Kate, and Matt, but Matt didn't want to play. Um, <laughs> uh, like, I just also want to say, too, like, on, like, I don't know if it makes it less weird, but, like, because I don't watch Critical Role. Um, I've seen some of, I've seen some of it, but I don't watch it religiously like you do, Adrian. Um, 
But, like, I listened to The Adventure Zone, a crap ton. I couldn't remember the name, but, like, The Adventure Zone, which is a D&D podcast. And there are, like, a whole bunch of D&D podcasts out there, too. So you can just listen to people play the game and, like, get into their character and, like, do their entire thing. After you listen to us. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, and even past that, um, I remember I was, when I first saw the hyper RPG guys playing Power Rangers uh, in that kind of D&D-esque campaign, I lost my mind. So I was watching people play Power Rangers, and I was watching like people who were on Power Rangers play Power Rangers, and it was like meta, and then like their production value was great. Because Bowl are on there, right? Yeah, it was ridiculous. I loved it. Um, and I think people just love that because Twitch, Twitch is so big uh, and YouTube are getting so big, it's easily accessible for viewers. So to kind of put this in perspective, as of January 2016, each episode of the first campaign had more than a million uh, – sorry, hold on. I just had like a coughing fit, sorry. Okay, so to put that to put this in perspective on like how many people watch Critical Role themselves and how and how popular they are, as of January 2016, each episode of the show has been watched for more than a million minutes on Twitch, totaling over 37 million minutes watched throughout the entire series. On January 11th, 2018, they started their second campaign. And their first episode peaked at 135 million viewers on Twitch. And that... Hmm? 135,000. 135,000. Did I say a million? Yeah. Okay. Uh, on, <laughs> on January 11th, 2018, the second campaign's first episode peaked at 135,000 viewers on Twitch and YouTube, and which is huge because their first campaign's finale averaged 40,000 viewers. So a lot of people came back to start this new campaign because by the end of their first campaign, they were up to like 150 episodes or so. And that's 150 episodes of them streaming for three or four hours each. So a lot of people couldn't kind of get into watching it um, as they gained popularity. So they waited for the second campaign to roll around. So now... Even in last night's episode, they were averaging about 50,000 viewers. So they're basically above where they were at the end of their first campaign. Um, I think a lot of this has to do with just the, the obviously the ease of, of accessibility for them because people can be in the chats, they can comment on what's going on. And the cast of actors is really, really great because a lot of them are voices that you might be familiar with. So we'll run through a few of them real quick. So Matthew Mercer is the DM, uh, the dungeon master for the campaign, and he does a lot of stuff. Um, he's hit from the Dragon Ball Super Dub, uh, McCready from Fallout 4, McCready Overwatch, and Levi from Attack on Titans Dub. Ashley Johnson, who voices Gretchen Grundler from Recess, Tara from Teen Titans, and Gwen from Ben 10, and she also has a recurring role on pa as Patterson in Blind Spot. Laura Bailey, who voices Kid Trunks in DBZ, Kiko in Yu Yu Hakusho. She's Kiko in Yu Yu Hakusho? Yeah, yeah. She is literally like one of my favorite characters, or like one of my favorite people on this thing, because 
she one she has a huge huge voice voice acting list and she gets into character really well um so she's also nadine ross from the newest uncharted and she has a nomination for that for best performance and i think she just got nominated for because she's in, she's in both of the new shadows of mordor games and i think she got nominated for i think the newest one for something too so she's Shadow like war. yeah shadow of war she just got nominated for a role in that because she's like some witch thing in that uh liam o'brien is nephrite from sailor moon Bullshit. yep gara from naruto oh, wow. and illidan storm rage from world of warcraft burning crusade um marisha ray this is the person that i got called a sexist i don't know if i remember telling you guys this but i got called a sexist because she is my least favorite not that i hate her she's just my least favorite out of this amazing cast of people and i got called a sexist for it she also has like the uh, least amount of work it looks yeah like. she does have the least amount of work um so aj manson in friday the 13th the game and then she has a bunch of roles in the fire emblem game that is kind of popular sam regal is Donatello in the TMNT Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon from 2003 to 2010? Yeah, he has like he has a lot of background, a lot of background voices. He's also like uh, an amazing character. Like he base right now he plays a female goblin. Uh, wow. Yeah, and he he kills it. Um, Talison is Basil Hawkins from One Piece, Blanca from Street Fighter, and the Flash from the Mortal Kombat versus DC games. Travis Wilhelm. Roy Mustang from Full Metal Alchemist, uh, Heret- the Heretic from Batman: Bad Blood, and Maury from Orin High School Host Club. Oh, I I know all of those references and things, and that's really cool. Yeah. Uh. So it's so as you can imagine, they can kind of get into any character. Um. Matthew Mercer is definitely the best at it. Like he, as the DM, he like embodies literally anything and he pulls off some really amazing voices he is definitely dm goals another big thing that they do because of their popularity is that they're able, they're able to bring in pop culture guests um to kind of be in on their campaign so they've had people like felicia day will wheaton chris hardwick and mary uh, mary mcglenn just to name a few um and it's kind of cool to see those people embody D characters Uh yeah, so that's only one show too. Yeah, because <laughs> like I I can think of at least three or four other like uh, streams that are pretty big that do D and D as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a huge thing now. I think a lot of that attributes to Twitch giving people the avenue to do it. I mean, we try and stream our thing um, on there. Critical Role is just kind of the biggest and the biggest juggernaut for it. Like they had like uh, before their second campaign rolled out they had a billboard you know in hollywood boulevard and everything so they have definitely brought um D kind of into the household for a lot of nerds and finally i think the reason why it's growing in popularity and something that we've mentioned a whole bunch of times in a bunch of other episodes is that being a nerd is much less not frowned upon i don't know how to put that in like an eloquent way i'll leave that to kate but Back in the eighties, like people probably weren't very excited to say they people played D and D. Shove you in a locker for this. Yeah, people like used to shove you and like punch you for like even having any sort of D and D thing. Now other D and D nerds will punch you. That's accurate. <laughs> that is that's yeah. a very now, accurate statement. Yeah. Now Warframe miniature guys are gonna punch D and D guys for being D and D guys and not. And I have DCU fans harassing me. That's the circle of life and nerdum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now the nerds are mean to the nerds, but. 
they're nerd they're mean to the nerds and out in the open and not in basements and closets anymore um and i guess i don't know like how much stranger things had an effect on this big popularity now i know that like the kind of basis for the first season is like them playing D, but i would be remiss if i didn't mention that and um kind of bring that back into the forefront for stranger things yeah. yeah, I think that there's definitely like a confluence that has like made this even more popular than it was, and net and it's just it's popularized it, right? Because like Geek and Sundry, like that network in and of itself is a popularized like it a popularized version of a lot of this stuff. Like it exists to make it more normal, normal, um, and so like now that's why you have that, or that's how it started out. Same thing with Nerdist, and now they're like major news hubs, and like our entire world is like. D and D and comic books and all the all the geeky things. So, yay nerddom. But not nerd. Just yeah, just don't be a dick, <laughs> and then that's kind of all you have to not do. Yeah. Um, on that note, we have some controversies that I want, want I want to run through really quick because this I think they here. I think they are hilarious, and I don't know why people freak out about literally everything. I wrote a every- paper on the first one. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I have it in because I know how excited Kate is to talk about it. Um, so there are some controversies that surrounding D and D way back in the 1980s, um, and there's a whole bunch, way more than like it deserves. It, the controversies deserve it's basically its own episode. Um, but some of my favorite ones that I was reading, basically, people in the 1980s. Some people thought that D and D promoted Satanism and witchcraft and promoted you know people to you know commit suicide and and murder and all this kind of stuff. Um, so in Virgi- Richmond, Virginia, this lady called Patricia Pooling. Am I saying that right, Kate? Yeah. Uh, she started this Richmond, group Virginia. called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons, bad with two Ds. And basically her, she tried to say that D&D caused her son to commit suicide and base and just try to like bring down D&D. Do you want to talk a little bit about Kate since you... Was this the one that you... Yeah, so you I, I wrote, like, an overall, like, paper on Satanic Panic and how D&D fit into it. Um, but, yeah, r- go run with it. I, I'd much rather you, you go through it than, than I go through it because I'm, I'm just reading stuff I found on the internet then. Well, I mean, I'm like, you have a lot of stuff that, that like, there's a couple on here that I didn't know, but, like, so essentially, like, you have, um, like, just to stick on, like, the Patricia Pooling note, like, she suffered, like, a terrible experience and which, I mean, like, your kid kills themselves. Like, that that's a really big thing. Like, yeah, you... She bounced back from it by, like, laying the blame on something that she could actually, like, see. Something physical, something that he did. You see it happen all the time with, it's happening right now with video games and, you know, horrible things. And so, during the 1980s, you have, like, this increase, you have the rise of the religious right, um, and then you also have, or, like, the cementing of the religious right, and then you also have this, like, really intense fear of anything that doesn't fit into really religious values. Um, So, like, the rise of the religious right, you have... You have really vocal evangelical Christians and stuff like this. Um, And so you end up having people with this fear of figures like um, Aleister Crowley and Anton LaVey. And, like, you have 
people think it's real. Like, I'm trying to find, like, a nice way to say it or, like, like an eloquent way to say it is essentially you have people in the world claiming that Satanism is real and that puts everybody else on alert and they start coming up with these really grand theories and, like, they're targeting, like, people in in Florida, um, immigrants in Florida, because they don't practice, like, they practice, like, Santeria and stuff like that. Um, And for D&D specifically, because you can be a wizard and all these things, they thought that you were, like, summoning demons in your, like, basement. And that, like, led them to, like, they led people like Patricia Pooling to actually, like, start suing. Um, I don't, is it, yeah, it's a TSR at the time, right? Yeah, it's TSR at the time still. Yeah, like, they're suing TSR because they think that they're filling their their kids' heads with all of these bad motives and making them worse people. So it's essentially the, our vid- video games create bad people conversation only attached to D&D. Um, I already and thought like, the whole goal was to summon demons, though. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what they do in Stranger Things? What they summon a demigorgon? Yeah. So, like, it, it's really crazy. And, like, they end up doing, like, a whole bunch of, like, these self-help books. Like, my son plays D&D. What should I do? can I be a Christian and play D&D? And, like, they do, like, like it, it's really interesting because you can tell that, like, the only reason it's getting this response is because of how big it's gotten. So, like, when you have, like, something rise up in one area, the tractors are going to rise up in, like, a, like in the same vein. So that that's why a lot of that comes up. I mean, and on, honestly, it just, like, has to do with this, like, larger like public sentiment towards religiosity that makes people who fit into like this i don't know like this is where you get the idea like the cookie cutter conservative like that like stereotype of like hyper religious like just family values like that you get that in this time period and so like you have like a large marginalization of people who don't fit into that mold and for a lot of these kids parents that was what D D was um I can go on for more things, but we're close to time, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, basically, just what everything Kate said, people thought that D&D was the devil. Um, but uh, as kind of like unsubstantiated as their claims were, and like a lot of these cases being thrown out, it still caused TSR to remove a bunch of stuff from their games to kind of avoid the backlash. So in their second edition, they remove, they basically replaced the names of like, well-known demons and things like that in their second edition and then in the third edition of the game when um witches of the coast took over they basically made they were they brought back all the demon stuff but they made demology and all that stuff um you know evil based to kind of avoid you know people thinking that like being a demon character was yeah um the whole goal Yeah, so like I mean, some of like their darker stuff kind of even had to have you know mature for mature audiences only labels because of all of this backlash. It's crazy that all of that ran from the '80s and affected their games in the 2000s just because of um, all the publicity that it got had gotten. Um, and then just real quick on kind of like the psychological impact that people said that like people thought that. D&D was causing people to like commit suicide and go murder people um, that obviously just like video games don't make you violent is untrue in 1985 um, Gary Gyax actually had a 60 minute segment that was devoted to the game and basically was like railroaded by people saying that like 
people like Patricia Pooling and things like that. Um, basically saying that their game was like helping people commit murders and suicide. Um, and there's a bunch of studies and stuff like that that I found when I was going through this that obviously debunk that about D and D. Yeah, like, and I also want to say too, like, since it's it's psychological, like, um, D and D now and how it's being utilized now, it is actually being used by psychologists to help people with, um, uh, like, on the autism spectrum, because through D and D and role playing with a group, it actually helps you build that social awareness. And you do it in a game setting, so you can learn how to build your social interaction and repertoire, which is something that people on the spectrum have issues with in varying degrees. So you can learn how to relate to other people through this game. Um, It's a game of empathy, choice, decision, and it's been utilized as a therapeutic tool as well. So like, it's one of those things, like as much as people were scared that their their kids were losing their lives in D&D because they can't tell what's real and what's not, it's like, well, the the level of immersion actually helps people deal with with real life problems and it's a it's a very good tool and there there are multiple groups out there that actually use this um and people who run like like special D sessions with you know the people in their area who suffer from depression or you know different mental illnesses as a way to kind of pull themselves out of their like own situations play the game and in other ways um, learn how to relate to other people um, in like cognitive um, cognitive differences like with with people on the spectrum so there is a lot of like positive like psychological work now being done with uh, with D&D and extensively because um, it just it teaches cognitive functions at a different rate um, and in a very realistic way without having somebody like suffer the consequences in real life for not understanding what that what that type of social interaction meant and that's why Kate's here <laughs> because she's the scholar. Um, Can we but summon a demon? My... <laughs> that's <laughs> why I'm here. I'm here to summon a demon. So we're all printers and not a demons now. You want to go back to printers? No. I can get a printer demon. <laughs> oh. You could print a demon, technically. Let's see. That, that's a thing you could do. But for my own like personal anecdote, I think the most fun that I've had being back in D anD D was playing with um, my coworker. My one, my when I played with my coworker, he brought over his son and his son's friend. And watching like the interaction of um, him just being like really, really—he's—he's he's not on the spectrum or anything, not at least not to my knowledge. But um, seeing how excited he was and seeing how he had to like develop patience as the game was going on, like he was like, "Oh, I want to do this." Like, "Oh, well, you have to wait your turn" and things like that. And just seeing how genuinely excited those two kids were to play D and D will always um, outweigh anyone ever telling me that D and D is like harmful to anybody because those kids were super excited about it and he told me um yesterday actually that he told his son that as his punishment that he couldn't come over and play D with us this weekend <laughs> yeah i think too like to that point like i think like with like my little brother learned math from like kirby air ride like what people like often forget is that like video games tabletops D, like putting your kids in like an immersive world like this with rules it really helps them like learn valuable skills that way. So like, even if you take it away from like, um, you know, therapist, um, the way therapists use it, um, just regular learning, like learning advancement. And like, it, it's a, it's a great learning and development tool for early ages. And, and they're like what you said, like with the, with the five E, like being able to like 
translate it into so many different things, you can pull it into something that's at their at their level and with what they really like. So I personally, I think I say this with a lot of things. I don't remember if they were, but it's a good learning tool. Um, yeah, have you ever tried to clean your bags or clean your bags out on an RPG? You know how hard that is. I do, and I know how hard it is because you come and you see my bags and then you organize them for me. <laughs> like it's something simple as that you just don't think about, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You learn what money is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, video games and stuff is good, and D and D is good, and that's really all I got. I think that's I think that's a good place for um to, to end it on. Um, any final thoughts before we get into the fan? But why those? Yeah, bring on the fans. Can we summon a demon for the fans? <laughs> I'm sure I have a book on the shelf that like will tell you how to do that. And it's not did, uh, did, did you print it? Do you have a Ouija board or a Ouija board? I don't have a Ouija board, but I've always wanted one. Uh, all right, so we don't have very many fan, but why those? So we'll get through them real quick. So at Sarah Jacobs underscore ATX. One of our lovely I, blockers. Yes, thanks for contributing. Am I allowed to say lovely uh, this time? I didn't say you couldn't say lovely. I just said it was weird because every time you talk about a blogger, you say lovely. And it's, 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 it's different. Yes, she is one of our awesome bloggers. And uh, she actually just wrote a piece about like the do's and don'ts of going to a Ren fair. Oh, nice. Is that like the proper version of LARPing? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. It's like the more mm. acceptable version of LARPing. Which is also fun. I don't know if y'all been to Renaissance Fairs, but I love I've Renaissance never Fairs. Okay, there's like one that happens like outside of Austin, like every year. We know we've been trying to plan this thing. It's been a hard thing. Quinn abandoned us for a friends last year. It was. Just, it is what it is. Hey, if we move back to Austin, we will definitely go. We keep trying to I go. Love Shit happens. We all just quit life. <laughs> Summon a demon, take over everything. We can go. Let's do it. Kate can wear her Let's Summon a Demon shirt. To uh, yes, fair. I can. I'm just going to ride a demon to this, there. we got to summon it first. That's how we're getting there. Yeah. Anyway, Sarah Jacobs underscore ATX says, I love D&D because I love telling stories with people. Living as a different being, if only for a few hours at a time, is an, is, is an incredible feeling. Is it's incredibly, incredibly freeing. freeing. I'll just read it again. I wanted to say incredible feelings. Yeah, yeah. That's what Twitter. That's why I would have said it's not Twitter. It, there's like it's proper grammar. Yeah, I think that's what kind of threw me off. I was like, I I go into these things like ready to like change grammar in my head. That is also fair when I read these. I'm like, how dyslexic can I start out with to make this right? <laughs> I'm no, oh, sorry. Just go. <laughs> so at uh, Sarah Jacobs underscore ATX. I love D&D because I love telling stories with people. Living as a different person, if only for a few hours at a time, is incredibly freeing. I am also a hashtag critter. And critters are the fan base for Critical Role. Cool. So at Sekra underscore XP. I played D&D for years and then switched to Heroes, another D20 system. I love being someone else for a while with her flaws instead of my own. I also collect dice for the fun of it. My favorite weapon is a dagger. 1d4 plus 1. That's also a huge thing. There's so many cool dice out there. Like, we bought way too... <coughs> yeah, that's also another cool thing that I've seen with, like, the D&D community. Dice is crazy. Like, there's so many different kinds of dice. We bought way too many dice when we first started playing because we thought they all looked cool. Yeah. 
I I was like in a fifteen minute conversation with the people from Level Up Dice, which is an Australian company, and like they they're really really they're like gemstone dice, like they're made out of gemstones, and then they have like their metal series, which is like pure tungsten and copper, and like it's yeah. The voice of reason was there, me, so we did not buy more than one pair of dice. Yeah, the problem is is that Stefani and I both like the dice, so there's no voice of reason there. Well, so the when we come is- back from Pax East. I don't know how much stuff we're coming back with See, for D&D related. I'm at least lucky because even if Matt does like the thing that I want to buy, he's going to still tell me wait till Sunday. That is the good thing. I kind of just do it and then just tell her later. A la Tiger in Neverwinter. <laughs> <laughs> Ask for forgiveness, not permission, is my motto. Listener, do not follow that. That's a terrible motto. Do it. Do it, Kate. Just buy the stuff. And then open it so you can't return it. <laughs> Alright, so how do I say this one? Do you do we know this person? Know Alta person. Emis? Alta Emis? Emis? Alta Emis? Alta Emis? Alright, I was gonna go with it. Um also from ha- uh at Alta Emis. I'm sorry for pronouncing that wrong. Ooh boy, do I have fond memories as both a DM and player. Critical Role is good and all, and I'm glad it seems to have gotten so many people into our game, but I've only watched about an hour and a half of the second season so far. At Alta Emis, go back and watch. This last episode was amazing. Thank you for your fan, but why though? So our last one is from Asa Big Mountain, at Asa Big M on Twitter. He is our UK friend uh, DM for our Dungeons and Dragons for the podcast, and he just did our new intro music, and we did not kill him back in the day in Ark. Um, Valid. Yeah. So, and he says, what I love about D&D is the universe that is created by nothing more than the DM's elaborate description and the player's imagination. Each player on that table will have a different mental depiction of the environment, NPCs, and each other's characters. Many times... Um, Many times I've spoken with DM of the game. I play weekly in the UK, and we have both gone away thinking, hmm, I didn't see it like that before. D&D has a stable structure of rules that can be followed, but also bent for the purpose of good storytelling and role-playing, which is something a video game can never give you because you can't program that kind of flexibility. Um, I totally agree, and him making Kate make a rage noise before she does something in the game is something that is not in the rule book, but he puts his flavor on. So I appreciate that every time it happens. So thank you, Asa for that wonderful fan, but why though? And this one is, um, this last one isn't technically a fan, but why though? But I thought, uh, I'm going to mention it because he gave us the intro into the Marvel universe. Uh, director John Favreau credits Dungeons and Dragons with giving him a quote, a really strong background in imagination, storytelling, understanding how to create tone, and a sense of balance. So we wouldn't have the MCU without D&D is what I'm trying to get across here. <laughs> Very, that's kind of a stretch, but we can live with it. Yeah, I'll live with it. We wouldn't have Iron Man 1 without D&D? Which means you don't get the MCU. Yeah, so... If you go I, back I and listen to our Iron Man episode, which is last yeah. episode... 
yeah, we talked about John Favreau there. But that's really all I got. Um, D&D for me is just a great way because I love the DMing aspect of it. I love being able to create a world and have people go through it and try and do different voices and think of um, uh, things on the fly because people kind of do whatever they want sometimes. So it's it's fun. It's fun getting people into it when I'm getting into it myself. It's one of the things I'm most excited about going and walking around when we go to PAX East um, next week from this recording. Actually, so, no, yeah. this week. As you're listening to this recording, it's a Wednesday, and Matt and I are on our flight out. Yeah. Me and Stefani and I will be in Boston at the time you listen to this, most likely. So um, they have a huge D&D section, a whole tabletop section, so we're hoping we can go and expand our D&D knowledge and hopefully promote the podcast D&D session and get some kind of tips and tricks to kind of expand ours. So I'm really excited about it. I love Dungeons & Dragons. I love Critical Role. Um, and I hope you come play with us at some point, somehow. I don't know. That's all I got. Yeah. Uh, so, like Adrian said, we're going to be at PAX East, so if you're in Boston, the surrounding areas, want to get a drink with us, or if you're heading to PAX East, let us know so we can hang out. Um, but for D&D, like, I just really like anything that people form communities around. Um, and D&D is, like, really, really fun, and it's really creative, and I just like the uses that it has. And I also just like controversy, so I like that it's, like, steeped in this, like, satanic lore <laughs> to general audiences. Um, but I think it's awesome. I think everybody should play at least one one-shot campaign. Like, um, I know the people we listen to on the radio play it, and, like, each of them, like, they're not, like, one of them was, was geeky, and the other two were, like, the farthest thing, and he, like, brought them in and had them play, like, a one-shot, and, like, they actually all had really fun, so, like, or they all really had fun, so, like, just, like, open up, play a one-shot one time, and, like, get that experience. It's really cool. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I'll ever actually play it. Eventually somebody might I lose a bet down the line or something, and I'll have to play it. But I like what it does, and obviously the universe is great, and I like basically what it brought essentially to the video game realm and between RPGs and just even Neverwinter itself, which is based off of uh, D&D and everything. They're great to play. And glad that people get around and enjoy it. I don't really like doing the pen and paper, but I do like the concept of a lot of stuff that happens in there. We will get you to play, man. You will be a wizard in a blue cape eventually. <laughs> okay. Um, so, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. At the moment you're done listening to this episode, we need more reviews and we need more ratings. It helps people find us the higher up we get on that chart. You can find us at ButWhyTheOPC on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ButWhyTheOPC. Get involved in the conversation. We want to talk with you guys. Um, beyond that, check out all of our blogs. We have a couple of reviews up right now um, for some different movies, just think pieces, just awesome things on our website, but why the podcast.com. Uh, we have a great team of bloggers. And you can find me at OhMyMythRandier on Twitter. Adrian? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z, 93. Matt? First of all, it is a lovely group of bloggers. Let's get that right. <laughs> Second of all, you can find me in Rippendale. Yay. Yay. I'm surprised you didn't use a Neverwinter City. It's been a while. I couldn't think of one. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. We'll find you in Rippendale, bud. And...
we're gonna go summon a demon. <laughs>